to EST. If you love the established church, this is the place to have conversations about why the established church matters, how to better serve her, and to hear stories every week about how God is using the church for His glory and our good. The show is hosted each week by Sam Rayner, Josh King, and Micah Fries. We're glad you're here. Hey, what's up? And welcome to another episode of EST, the podcast for established church leaders by established church leaders. My name is Josh King and Sam Rayner is on the line. How's it going, my brother? Yeah, and I do need to apologize to our listeners because I committed a grievous sin, a grievous podcasting sin. It it is. It's a pretty big sin. It has been a long, long, long time since I've done this, but I forgot my microphone. Mm. And I probably sound like I'm in a cave somewhere. And for those who are listening, this is a great time to bring up the opportunity. If you are invited onto a podcast or something like that, just maybe the podcast host is not going to tell you these things that I'm about to tell you. If you just think you're going to throw your headphones or your ear pods in and start recording, you're messing up the show. You need a separate mic if you can get it. Now, obviously, if you don't have one or you can't, you don't have access to one, then do the best you can. But if you have access to one, you need a separate mic and you need a separate set of headphones. Wear your headphones. Um, So many of podcasts have been ruined because somebody just refuses to put their headphones on and man, it just messes things up. So, hey, we have sponsors though. You want to tell about our sponsors? <laughs> we have a great sponsor, Church Initiative. <laughs> <laughs> they are the creators of Grief Share and Divorce Care, two great programs for your church. Um, so th- they make it simple. They make it easy. Uh, you just get one volunteer. You connect that volunteer, that lay leader, to the Church Initiative team, and they really they just take it all from there. Um, so what happens is, is you get to equip someone. And you get freed up to do other ministry while really good ministry is happening um, uh, in your church. So uh, with Divorce Care and with Grief Share, you get these ministry coaches. They help you launch a ministry plan. They provide step-by-step report uh, support. Um, and th- they're always available for questions. They encourage you. Um, the coaching is free. That's what's cool about Church Initiative. That's what's cool about Grief Share and Divorce Care. Um, so you can find out more at divorcecare.org slash start slash EST or griefshare.org slash start slash EST. Don't forget that EST at the end, divorcecare.org slash start slash EST, griefshare.org slash start slash EST. That way we can get credit for you guys going there. Um, and you know, what's most important is that we help churches and the church initiative is really, really good about that. But it's also nice that we that we get a little credit for sending people over there. Absolutely. And speaking of credit, I want to give credit to a few of our EST followers on Twitter. Um, threw out a question just this last week on what are you learning? What pastoral lessons have you learned in 2020? Which is a great year to learn some pastoral lessons. A few of those I thought kind of stood out. Adam Wyatt says, that I have far less under control than I would like to believe. I heard, uh, you know, Clint Presley, you know that guy? Yeah. Yeah. He told me the other day, pastoring during a pandemic is like riding a bull. You're on top, but you're, you have no control over what's about (laughs) to happen. (laughs) So that's that's such a Presley is perfect. Uh, Clint Presley, um, give yourself a lot of grace. Dylan Price said that one. And then one more, Andrew McGinnis says, God is faithful even when people are not. So a lot of good lessons that we're learning here in 2020. 
we thought we would shift gears a little bit. We've been talking about a lot of super relevant, super right now kind of conversations. Move into maybe a more timeless issue for most established church pastors, and that is deacons, the ministers, the non-paid leadership. And um, this can create a lot of issues for established church pastors. What are some of those issues, like the big ones, just, you know, right off the bat? Well, I think in, at least in our tribe, and I think also in other tribes as well, uh, there are several churches that have been run by deacons, you know, controlled by deacons. And I say that in a negative way, not a positive way, because sometimes the deacon body does have a lot of power, but they're good people and uh, they have done good for the church. But I think some of the problems in the church have resulted from a very controlling deacon board uh, that has kept the church from really doing the will of God. Mm. Yeah, and you know the the Bible has two offices. There's the pastor, elder; those are synonyms. And then there is the deacon, which I call a minister. I know our co-host Micah; he doesn't want me to use that word because all members are ministers. But just for simplicity's sake, you know, this is something that every time I talk about it, people are like, "Whoa, that's a different way to think of it." But in our churches that I pastor, there are only two offices, so all staff have to meet one of the qualifications of either elder or deacon. And the way that I've always referred to things is pastors are paid elders, elders are non-paid pastors, deacons are non-paid ministers, and ministers are paid deacons. And so if you can simplify things that way, it helps with you completely lost me, but it sounded so pretty, Josh. If you look at it on a piece of paper, it's super simple. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah, I think you're right. Sometimes a group of people can overtake and be too strong. I know some churches. Have you ever heard of a church that has no deacons? Yeah. In- intentionally? I yeah. I mean, I've, I've heard of churches that have no deacons. Uh, so some of them uh, because there's nobody qualified. So, right. you know, at Church Answers, what we do is we're consulting, coaching, helping a lot of churches. And, you know, we'll, we'll get into these churches. There'll be 30 people that are there, and literally nobody's qualified to be a deacon, so they don't have a deacon. Mm. They would like to have them. They just don't. And then, and then there are other churches that, um, theologically, they just, they just don't have them. Huh. I've heard of some pragmatically. Because you know, like what you're talking about where they're like, oh, deacons can cause problems. That's the general idea. So we just don't have any. And I kind of think that that's, that's probably not a good way to look at scripture and be like, eh, I'll do everything God tells me to do. I'll do the stuff. But if it causes me problems, I'll probably just bail on it. Um, I think deacons are a good, good thing. Because even when we were thinking about starting the show, you said, yeah, I love that topic because I can, I can brag on my deacons. Yeah, yeah. I kind of started a little bit negatively because you asked me a negative question. But right. if we're talking specifically about West Bradenton, mm-hmm. I love the deacons that I serve with. Yeah, um, They are a group of people that I lean into for accountability. Um, and they are a group of people that I lean into for keeping the unity of the church. Mm. So if you... Look at Acts chapter 6, and I, for our listeners, for those of you who are already beginning to like cringe a little bit. They're throwing things. Well, I know, well, I know that, you know, is Acts 6, where, is that where the diaconate was really formed? You know, and, and I get all that, but let's just assume that there's something there. And <laughs> when you look at that conflict between the Hellenistic and the Hebraic Jews, right. and these uh, faithful men that were raised up, to right. deal with the problem, 
I view deacons as having that role, mm-hmm. meaning when disunity is in the church, when somebody's out of line, when somebody needs to be disciplined, when somebody just needs to be talked to. I, I, I look at the deacons as unifiers in the church. In fact, at West Bradenton, that's one of the key requirements of being a deacon. If mm. you are a divider, you can't be a deacon. Uh, if you're a unifier, then, you know, that will help you be one of the main things that deacons are supposed to be. Mm. Um, so my deacons will say, and you'll hear them say this, we are a deacon body, not a deacon board. And oh, what that's they, a good distinction. What they mean yeah. by that is we're here to help, support, serve. We, 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 uh, they have a lot of influence in our church, and I don't mind that at all. Um, but at the same time, they'll also say we're here to, to come alongside our pastors and ministers and help accomplish the vision and mission of the church. Um, and they do it very well, by the way. So I don't know if I have no idea if any of my deacons listen to the EST podcast. But if they right. do, I say, guys, you're doing a good job. Yeah. And I echo Sam's, um, you know, celebration of his deacons, uh, not just his deacons, my deacons as well. Our deacons are phenomenal. And there's a couple thoughts I have on this. I think that any group, if you if you approach them hostile, if you approach them in a hostile way, you're going to tend to have problems with them. And so if you are a church leader and you consider, I don't know, let's say you're a student minister and you view the parents of the students as generally a hostile group, you're going to have more problems from any group than if you if you treat them like partners. And I view the deacons not as a hostile group. I love our deacons. I loved our last deacons at the church I served in Texas. And so I would say the first thing with dealing with deacons, and I love our group here a lot, um, so much respect for them. I mean, there's times where I'm just amazed that this group of men, and we have over 60, that this group of men would submit themselves to me as a leader. I, they're amazing, phenomenal leaders, both in industry and nonprofit and education. And so I'm amazed by them. Um, so, you know, don't don't approach them hostile. And I, I like to set the tone. So I want to share with you, Sam. I don't even know if I've ever shared this with you before. Oh. When we install new deacons, my little thing that I made up and how I set the tone. So installing new deacons or if I'm taking a church and I'm going to deacons, Sam will see this. You will not see this, listeners. This is the deacon knife all right so i have a little pocket knife here it's got a wood handle and second our little logos engraved in there it does when, now does that help them keep the unity of the church by it giving does. them knives it, it does i give them a knife only the deacons are allowed to have these knives we do not sell them we do not let other people have them in fact in my last church one of our deacons passed away and the and his deacon knife was listed in his will who it would go to. It is an heirloom. That's what I tell everybody. The deacon knife is important. And here's why. It's a pocket knife. And I say deacons are like pocket knives. Pocket knives are kept hidden. You don't pull them out. They're not a sword. They are kept hidden. So they're behind the scenes servers. They are not a weapon. They are mainly for function. They're tools for projects. You cut things, you know, those sort of things. So they are not weapons. They are not offensive. They do dirty work. I always joke about how pocket knives will scrape out fingernails. They'll scrape the goop off of your boots, you know, that sort of thing. Pocket knives do dirty work, just like deacons do things behind the scenes that nobody knows. They're handy. You can keep them, you know, around. And when you need them, they're there. They jump out. 
I always make the joke that my knife, my pocket knife is actually an Amazon package opener. It's not actually a knife. It's just an Amazon pack. That's the only thing I use. And then I say the last one is they can defend. So even though they're not a weapon, if you get attacked by a bear and a pocket knife is all you have, then a pocket knife is what you use. And so the deacons are not offensive, but they are very defensive and they defend against disunity. They defend against attacks on the pastor. And so this pocket knife that we give to all of them, it's engraved. And then we have a little, I forget what it's called. Um, it's a little wood thing that you put your keys in your pocket knife and your change on. A man will do that when he walks in from the house. You know, he drops all his stuff on that tray. That also has the logo and the, the word deacon on it. And so by setting that tone and not treating them with hostility, we have great deacon relationships, um, I think. Um, I now, hope now I'm really hoping, there's two things here. I'm yeah. really hoping that none of my deacons are listening to this right now. Because they we want a knife now. They don't want a knife. Some of them may want a special gun, but that's a whole nother, <laughs> that's a whole nother thing. Um, and, 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 if, and if deacons if deacons are like pocket knives, does that mean you can't take them to the airport? You can't take them to the airport. There's certain places that you probably don't want one. Into schools, things like that. You just need to leave them. No, I'm kidding. But, you know, I, I, that was something that you're, you know, we print that up. I'm actually looking into a way. I'm just not entrepreneurial. I'm actually looking into a way to get knives like this printed with Deacon on it and then a little pamphlet that has those lists of things. And so if a church wanted to do that kind of stuff, they could just order a packet. But we always just get our stuff custom ordered. I just so. imagine you on an infomercial yeah. going, but wait, do you want the more. Josh King Deacon pocket knife? <laughs> For $19.99. Two, two if you call right now. Not just one, but two. <laughs> so... Um, anyways, that's how I look at deacons and they, they serve in a tremendous way. I'll tell you another thing, you know, and jump in here at any time. One of the biggest problems that churches I find have with deacons is forcing them into roles that either culturally or, um, let's just say culturally or masculinely, if you have most of our tribe stick to male only deacons, I don't, I don't believe that that's a requirement, but most do. They, they fit them into roles that they're not necessarily equipped or passionate about. So I, like you, or maybe even stronger than you, I feel like Acts chapter 6 is an extremely obvious institution, you know, the creation of the diaconate. I get that. I look at that that way. But because that text deals specifically with widows, so many churches relegate deacon work to just widow care. And there's nothing about the scripture that says that it has to be widow care. So if one of the things that would really, I think, breathe life into your deacon body is giving them jobs that that would pull you away from preaching and, and prayer and letting them be. So here's a couple ideas. The buildings and the grounds. making Just let them own that. Let Not with authority, but with with responsibility, the yard care, that sort of stuff. Security team, give them a budget, tell them that they can get trained, they can carry guns, they can um, you know, have camera duty, get them the little walkie talkies with the little spiral thing that goes into the, their ear, you know, let them do all that. You Dude, know, that, that would make me want to be a deacon. That's, that's the point. So you do these things that they love, that they like to do, but then they're off of your plate. You don't have to deal with those sort of things. I usually do have one or two that we say, you two over here are passionate about hospital care. You love making those visits and stuff. So we're going to, you two are going to be the only ones that do that hospital care. And then you two over here, you two or three, 
y'all seem to really like, you know, caring for the widows, making sure that their yards are mowed and those sort of things. The rest, they do first impressions team. They do, you know, lawn care, those sort of things. Um, we have a, we have 50 acres and most of it's wooded, lots of trees. Our deacons are the ones responsible to make sure that the limbs are trimmed up high and clean and clear. And that they love that. That's chainsaws, man. That's chainsaws and grinders. They love that stuff. So if you can give them tasks, I think that take some of the responsibility away from you, but juice them up. It's the kind of thing they like to do. I think you're going to get a lot out of your deacons instead of these monthly finance reports and then trying to force them to go visit widows. You know, that's just not their MO. What do you guys do? What do you, what do you it's do? really not. And I, I actually applaud our deacons. Security and building and grounds are kind of two areas that they that they thrive in, and they've really helped us. Hmm. Um, and uh, it's neat to watch them thrive in roles that they are called to do. Yeah. And I think a lot of your problem deacons come about because we force them into roles that they just aren't good at. 100%. Yeah. They don't want to do that. Have you ever had, and this is, I'm not talking about deacons this way. I'm just talking about men in general. You ever had like a, a puppy that is uh, like a shep, a shepherding kind of dog. They're bred to do that or a hunting type of dog or something. Like we had a beagle one time and it was constantly getting out because it would put its nose down and sniff out a trail and just go. And you couldn't break it off of that trail. It's what they're bred to do. And if you try to like lock them up and never let them exercise in that way, if you've got a, a herding type of dog, they'll start herding the family, the kids. They'll run around them in a way that keeps them all together. Yeah, I actually do have a blue lacy, which you should mm-hmm. appreciate because that's the, the Texas dog. Oh, yes. Yeah, I know. I looked that up when you told me that. Yeah, so I have a blue lacy. And the reason we have a blue lacy is because we have four kids. So you herd them. And she loves herding the kids. And it's it's yeah. a wonderful thing. Yes. And so if you were a if you were a church leader that never got to lead, if you were a preacher that never got to preach, so you think about these servant leaders in your church. They've got a position now, they've got they've got opportunity, they've got a will, they want to serve behind the scenes. And you just make them run off and do hospital care, which is service, I get that. But they want to they want to sweat for God's glory. That's what I always say. They want to sweat for God's glory. And so you got to give them some opportunities i think to do this and, kind of and here's the thing when there comes a week when there's way too many people in the hospital and you got to pull a few of them in a lot of times they're willing to do it even if it's not their thing it's just when it when you set them up to say all right because we do deacon for life like we don't have a rotation at all once you're called you're in right and then just say all right you're in and you're in for life and oh by the way you're going to be going to the hospital every week until mm-hmm. you die um, you're going to go to the hospital until you're in the hospital. Um, yeah, you set it up for failure almost. Right. You right, set right. the deacon body up for failure. Did I tell you about Mars Hill when I went up to, I was at some conference up in Seattle. Which Mars Hill? There's the, the, the Seattle one. The Seattle oh, one, okay. Yeah. The one that doesn't exist anymore. The one that doesn't exist, right. Um, I went into, I was at a conference or something. I went into the restroom, the men's restroom, of course, and this huge poster up above the uh, the urinals, okay? So this massive poster up above the urinals. It has this lumberjack-looking man, and he has in a headlock a bear. And it was this very Paul Bunyan-esque, I mean, trees, mountain scenes, and all that kind of stuff. And he's got, uh, like, flannel on, huge biceps. He's tackling this bear. It's very larger-than-life Americana sort of art. And on the back of his shirt, it says, Mars Hill Security. 
That's all it did. There was nothing about signing up. There was nothing about, but you look at that thing and you go, I want to be on security. I want to be like that kind of dude. And it's just effective kind of running in a lane. Uh, you know, the, <laughs> there's a lot we could say about Martell, but um, <laughs> that's right? a really that's- neat picture of a marketing. It's a marketing thing. But doing it in a in a way that is a drawing factor into service. That's brilliant. Yeah, because we think so often about, you know, church service is generally, I mean, goodness, if all you can do in your church is hold babies in the nursery, um, open doors, hand out bulletins. I mean, there's just so few roles that we don't really like let people lean into what they're actually interested in and let them... Sometimes we say, hey, look, we've got some volunteer opportunities in which you will never stand in front of a group of people at all, ever. You will never speak. And sometimes people look at that like, oh, you're, these are lesser positions. No, these are the way that some people are wired. They don't want to stand in front of people and speak. They're afraid if, you, if they say, I want to serve my church, you're going to say, okay, great. You got to lead an adult small group. That's, you got to have different kind of avenues for people to roll. And some of those, I would say, should be hyper-masculine, just these sweat for God's glory type of things where you're going to cut trees down with chainsaws. Now, if some females want to cut trees down with chainsaws, I'm all for it. As long as you don't lose a limb, get out there and cut trees down, you know, or limbs down. So I think just, uh, like you're saying, give them roles that, that would really kind of apply to them. Yeah. Now let's, um, let's dive into some more practical stuff for our listeners. Um, what's your, what do you ordain deacons? What's that process look like? Okay, so let me try to remember this. There is a, an open nomination process. We, we announce, here's the qualifications. We kind of spell those out, how, how we interpret them. Then there's an open nomination process. That goes to the, the deacon officers. There's a president or a chair, a co-chair, and then a secretary. Those kind of get initially screened over there for uh, like personality type of thing. If there's anything standing out where they just are disqualified, they get removed. It goes to some of the church staff that will um, analyze attendance and giving. So you have to be a giver. Um, and, and then what we do is they go through a year-long apprenticeship. Now, here's the deal. There are certain qualities of a deacon that may just disqualify you. You just you can't do this in different churches for different reasons. And so if they just get disqualified, okay. But things like, let's say giving. If there's a person who gets nominated for deaconship, but they're not a giver yet, we will go ahead and put them in the apprenticeship because the idea is they spend a year non-voting at meetings, serving in the meetings, serving in the ways that our deacons serve, all these sort of things. And they are told you have to be a giver. And so if they meet the qualifications at that point after the year, we felt like maybe they're not giving just because they don't know. Maybe nobody's taught them. Maybe nobody's discipled them. And so they go through a year, a full year of pretty much being a grunt deacon. You got to do all the stuff, but you get none of the benefits. You don't get a knife. You don't get a vote. You just are there. And um, they've got a mentor that meets with them regularly. Then after the end of the year, I'll, I'll tell you, 25, 30% um, opt out. They're usually, they're, it's usually on them. They opt out. The rest we bring up for nomination. We share all of that. We make a big deal out of them. And then we give them a knife and 
they're officially deacons. That's how we do it. How about y'all? Yeah, I mean, we don't have an apprenticeship, but um, we are always on the lookout for people that have the potential to be deacons, and we bring them in. Hmm. Now, a formal apprenticeship actually is something that I could very well institute at our church, and I think it would go over well. So you, you've actually given me some ideas there. Hmm. But, you know, for, for us, um, there's, you know, there's a, a interview process. There's a, a, we do a giving check. We do a lot of vetting. We ask some very deep questions, probing questions of potential deacons, because, you know, what, we just don't rotate. I mean, we, I don't like the idea of, well, every three years you have to roll off. That doesn't make any sense to me. Uh-huh. If you've got a good deacon and they want to keep serving, what's the deal? Let them keep serving. And, yeah. you know, um, and I think the, the, where that came from, by the way, was um, after World War II, when these young men came home and they were ready for leadership, they've been at war. Uh, they they started instituting a, a, a rolling kind of basis of introducing new leadership into the church. So it was a practical thing back in the day uh, to get young people, uh, you know, mm. 20-somethings into these deacon bodies or deacon boards um, so that, uh, you know, they could have a leadership role. And it's funny now that we use, we use those things to keep young people off. Um, <laughs> but that's not why it started. Uh, so I look at it like, Hey, if you're, if you're qualified and if you want to keep serving, let's keep you serving. Of course, if anybody wants to take a break, they can take a break anytime they need to mm-hmm. for whatever reason. But, um, but yeah, we, we have a very, um, stringent qualification process for deacons. Um, obviously if you look at the list of qualifications in scripture, uh, for between pastors and deacons, the two offices of the church, um, the one thing that's not required of deacons that is required of pastors is the ability to teach. Mm-hmm. So we don't require our deacons to be front and center kind of people either. Um, you know, they they just don't have to be. That doesn't have to be in their skill set. Um, right. so, so we do have a lot of good behind the scenes kind of people on the on our deacon body, and uh, proud to serve with them. We're actually in the process of getting new ones on board and vetting some of them and uh, looking good for you know the next next round of deacons i'll tell you another thing um another resource that we use pretty faithfully is called it's a little booklet called a deacon on purpose it's by dr tony wolf who's a friend of mine you can get the uh, the book if you just type in a deacon on purpose in google it'll take you to the southern baptist of texas website and um, we use that uh, the book is $7.50 for five. So cheap, cheap, cheap. Um, and then there are on the website videos in which Dr. Wolf is teaching each of the lessons. There's six lessons. Lead by example, serve the people, support the pastor, protect the peace and character and purpose. Um, and then there's an introduction as well. So we love that resource because what happens is I don't have to teach. I love teaching the, the deacons and stuff, but usually when we provide the training, I'm teaching something else. So actually, Dr. Wolf will teach with these videos. One of our deacons will lead the discussion. There's discussion questions and through it. It works perfectly for the kind of deacons that we're looking for, that service, protect the church sort of thing. It's not a board training. I will say for my church in particular, um, the issue of alcohol, it's um, it's more teetotal. This book is, that's not the stance that I take. Um, it doesn't take a moderationist view, but that's fine. Um, we just, we just kind of say that. And so it's a great resource to share with your 
your deacons if you want to train them go through it with them it's real thin it's straight it's direct to the point you know what i mean and so a lot of your deacon types don't feel overwhelmed you're not handing them a 300 page you know here's all the theology behind deaconship so that's a great resource that we use um, and all of our deacons regular that we offer it maybe once a year and we encourage them all to go back through for a little refresher on you know serving and that sort of stuff and they and they're happy to do it so do you have do you have any books or anything that you like no, I think the one that you've said is 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 the one to to go for. Mm-hmm. Uh, I just I just want to give props to you know Herbie, my my first deacon. Mm-hmm. That, you know, I, you know my first church was um, church of six people, and uh, Herbie was the one deacon. And the joke that I like to say is uh, more tattoos than teeth, but uh, he kind of set the um, the tone. And my understanding of, of what a real deacon is. So, uh, just I, I don't even know if he's still around, but kind of I kind of miss the guy. Uh, Union Band Baptist Church, my my first church, six people hadn't even had services in like two years when I went there, wow. but they did have one deacon that was cutting the yard, changing the lights, paying the bills, keeping that little church going. So I, I listen. I know there's a lot of uh, smaller church pastors and church leaders that listen to this. And you probably resonate with that. We got we got one deacon, and we got two Come deacons. On. Yeah, and they're and they're doing it. But if you if you didn't have him, man, it would it would grind to a stop. And so and that's my point. Yeah, um, I, I joke about Herbie, but I couldn't do the yard. I was bivocational. Sure. Yeah. You know, I couldn't get up there and change all the light bulbs and pay the bills and. You know, we did, well, I was going to say keep the AC running, but we didn't have air conditioning, so we did put in <laughs> we did put in air conditioning. And my, my one of my favorite stories is when once one Saturday I went up there, and uh, Herbie was throwing out like these choir robes and things from the second story into this giant bonfire, and and I just said, are, what what are you, what he said don't don't ask, and I'm like okay I won't um, so. <laughs> Don't ask, and you don't have to lie about it later. Yeah. Um, so that's, I mean, I think that's great. The last thing that I would say is not, and let me, I don't know how to say this. Don't be afraid of deacons. They are partners. They are good people, generally, largely speaking. Not good people because we're all broken and sinners, but they are, they are good Christian folk, and they're great to partner with. They're not for you to, to uh, dominate over no one is there for you to dominate over them they are not there to do your grunt work they are there to serve the church that they love and jesus that they serve and so partner with them on that get as many as you can i think get get a ton of deacons if you can um because there's always stuff to do in the church it gives them buy-in it gives them ownership and um, don't be afraid of them if one is being mean then go and pull them off to the corner and as a you know man to man say stop being mean you're not allowed to be that and be a deacon and so um i just say don't be afraid of them treat them as partners you'll have a great relationship with them any final thoughts on you sam no i think you have pretty much summed up what deacons are and what they should be I love deacons. They're so good. If you don't have any, get you some. Get you 60 of them like I do. Go get you some deacons. Go get you some deacons. All right. Thanks so much for listening. Make sure you rate, review, and subscribe on iTunes or wherever you listen to podcasts. And we will catch you next week. 
Hi there, Tom Rayner here. I realize it might seem we're nowhere near the holiday season, but it will soon be upon us before you know it. And our friends over at Church Initiative want us to remember that the Thanksgiving and Christmas season is a time of year that can be really tough for people who's lost a loved one or who have been divorced. So listen to some of the things grieving and divorced people say on their Grief Share and Divorce Care Facebook pages during the holiday season. People like Jean and Susan are hurting. They're looking for help. And you can provide it through your church, through divorce Divorce Care and Grief Share, Surviving the Holiday Events. Visit churchinitiative.org forward slash holidays to learn how your church can offer one or both of these impactful programs this holiday season. And you can get the information in the show notes as well. You've been listening to EST, a discussion for the established church. Make sure to follow us on Facebook and Twitter, as well as subscribe, rate, and review on iTunes, Google Play, or your favorite podcatcher. Thanks for listening.